Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. We're looking at James chapter 1 as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled, Being Made New. And of course, the idea behind this sermon series is this. We've been saying that the world around us is so crazy right now. And we can't control all the things that happen in our country or in our capital or even in our own community. But as Christians, we do have some control over our response to all the craziness. So in this sermon series, we're asking questions like this. We're asking questions like, how can I become all God wants me to be in the midst of the circumstances where God has placed me at the current time? We're asking questions like that in this series. We're asking questions like, how can I get to the place where I am being made new? And in the course of this sermon series, we've seen that there are four concepts that we really have to get a handle on. We've really got to get a grip on these if we want to biblically be made new. And the four concepts we've said we've really got to know, we've really got to learn are these. Number one, your flesh. Your translation of the Bible may call it your sinful nature. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 calls it sin living in me. We've learned that our flesh, flesh is vestiges. It's traces of the old person we were before we were in Christ Jesus. That our flesh is that part of us that has not yet been made new. And we learned in Romans 7 and verse 23 that our flesh wages war against us. That whenever we try to do something good, whenever we try to do something godly, whenever we try to do something spiritual, our flesh is right there opposing being made new. So if we're going to be made new, you need to know about your flesh. You need to know that it's going to be a fight to be made new. Second concept, God's law. God's law, we've learned in Romans 7 and verse 12 that his law is holy and righteous and good. So God's law is what shows us what it looks like to be made new. That's the end game. That's where we're going. That's what it looks like to be made new. It should be a reflection of God's law. So God's law shows us what it looks like to be made new. Concept number three, our new heart. Our new heart. Romans 7 and verse 22 taught us that our new heart delights in God's law. Uh, we saw in Jeremiah that God has taken away our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh so that we desire to do what is right. So our new heart gives us the desire to be made new. But we saw in Romans 7 that within ourselves we don't have the capability to carry out what our new heart longs to do the right thing, but we're not able to do so. Which is why you got to know about the fourth thing, the indwelling spirit. We saw in Romans chapter 8 that the indwelling spirit of God in us is what gives us the power to be made new. It's what enables us to walk in God's ways and to do what is right. So recap, basically, the flesh fights being made new. God's law shows us what it looks like to be made new. Our new heart gives us the desire to be made new. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be made new. So we're learning about those four things. And a couple of weeks ago, we began to focus on the flesh. And the reason we've been studying the flesh is this. 
We were hoping that by examining our flesh and how it leads us into sin, our hope has been that when we see how our flesh leads us into sin, then we're better able to overcome our flesh and to live, as Romans 8 says, not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit, so that we might be made new. And so I want to look at James 1, verses 14 and 15 with you today. We looked at it a few weeks ago for this profile of how the flesh works. But we're looking at James 1, 14 and 15 today specifically to talk about our desires. How does the flesh use our desires to lead us into sin? So be listening Our desires are mentioned twice in those two verses. I'm going to read James 1, verses 14 and 15. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig in talking about how to deal with our desire. Hear now God's word from James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you show us how our flesh uses our desires to lead us into sin. I just pray that you would open our eyes now and that for each of us you would see how Our flesh uses our desires to lure and to entice us to sin. And I pray that you would show us that so that we might avoid the trap, avoid the deception of our flesh, so that we might not be led into sin, so that we might more and more walk in your ways and more and more be made new. Father, I ask that you'd be willing to do this even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're looking at our desires today. We all have desires. There are things that we want. We can't help it. I don't know why blue is my favorite color. I just desire the color blue. Many times we can't articulate why it is we desire the things that we desire. And so we want to talk about our desires and how do we deal with our desires as Christians, specifically as we are being made new. So look at this text with me. We're told there in verse 14 that each person is tempted, we haven't sinned yet, but we're tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desire. Now let me just tell you, if you are someone who fishes or you are someone who hunts, then you have an advantage understanding this text because these words, lured, enticed, are fishing or hunting metaphors. Specifically, this word enticed in the text, it literally, that we're enticed by our own desire. Literally, the word means to bait a hook or to set a trap with bait. That's what it is used most times in the Greek in that way. But when it's used figuratively as it is here, right, we're not tempted literally by bait, right? We're tempted when figuratively the word means to lure a victim into a moral trap through something they desire. Think about that imagery with me. Think about what the text is saying. Let's just stay right there for a minute so that we understand how our flesh works. And we're given this image, Imagine that you are going fishing. 
you want to catch a fish, right? What do you do? We have a hook that we're going to hook the fish with, but you have to put bait on the hook. If you just drop a hook into the water, a fish is not going to bite the hook it just because there's a hook in the water, right? The fish is really not interested. But if you bait a hook using something that the fish desires, typically food, something that they would eat, a lure that looks like food to them, then that entices the fish to do something that they would not ordinarily do, to put a hook in their mouth so that you can reel them in. So what happens is, this fish is desiring food. Now think about it, the desire is not wrong or bad in and of itself. The desire for food is a natural, God-given desire. But the fish's desire is used to lure and entice them to do something that they would not ordinarily do. That's the image. And the text is saying that's how our flesh works. At our deepest core desires, our desire itself is not sin. Now, can some desires be sinful? Absolutely. Think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking about lust, which is just a desire. He equates it with adultery. Or hate, which is just something in our heart, which he equates with murder. Can our desires be sinful? Yes, but our deepest core desires that we have when we have a new heart, those things are not wrong. They're not bad. The desire itself is not a sin. God gives us desires. God in his word appeals to our desires. But what happens when we fall into sin is that our flesh fools us by promising us something we desire to get us to do something we would not ordinarily do. We are lured and enticed by our desires. Our flesh uses our desires to lead us into sin. Now, some folks, many Christians think that if I could just turn off my desire, then I wouldn't sin anymore. If I could just stop desiring things. But you need to understand that that view of the world is really not a Christian view at all. God appeals to our desires. And Christianity it is not an ascetic religion saying no to our desires or any kind of pleasure. That's really much more of a stoic mindset. It's really closer to Buddhist thought that I'm just going to die to my own desires and to the world around me so that I'm not disappointed by anything because I won't uh, have my desires met because I'm just going to turn off my desires. But the New Testament specifically distinguishes Christianity from that kind of thought. First, the scripture says that trying to turn off our desire does not stop your flesh from leading you into sin. That it doesn't do it. Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. I think there the Apostle Paul says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Verse 21 spells them out. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Look at verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The scripture says that that kind of asceticism, just turning off our desires, has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So don't think that you can just turn off your desires 
And that's going to solve the problem. That's not how God made you. If we begin not to desire, to try that desire, to turn off our desires, it dehumanizes us. We are less of a human that God made us to be because he made us with desire. Desires are good. They're God-given. They're not necessarily bad. We can have bad desires. They can be inherently sinful. But at our core, with our new heart, we have desires that are good, that are God-given. But our flesh uses those good desires that we have to lure, to entice us into sin. So what's the solution? We can't just turn off our desire. That doesn't work. We're less human when we do that. What's the solution? How do I keep my flesh from using my desire to lead me into sin? As Christians, how do we deal with our desire? Great question. That's what we want to talk about for the rest of the time. How do we deal with our desire? And I've got three steps for you to consider. As we look at our desire as Christians, as we biblically want to be made new, how do we handle our desire? Step one, drill down to your core desire. Drill down to your core desire. We have all kinds of desires. Some of them good, some of them bad, most of them mixed between the two. But at our core, with our new heart, we have good, God-given desires, right? So we have to drill down to those. So what does that look like? Well, you ask yourself, what is it that I really desire? What is it that I really want to happen? What am I trying to get when I look at pornography? When I eat a whole pizza or go without eating food at all and overexercise, what is it that I'm trying to get out of that? What is it that I want to achieve by cutting myself? What is it that I really want when I overwork? What is it that I really want when I go to bed with someone who is not my spouse? What is it that I really desire? What is it that I really want? What am I hoping to get out of acting out in that way? What is the real desire underneath our other desires? And as we drill down, if we are believers, we have a new heart, we're looking for what are the God-given desires that you are looking to satisfy. And this is a difficult thing to do. It is not easy. It is hard. Because it requires us to slow down. And we don't like to slow down. It requires us to reflect on our own heart and our own desires and we don't like to reflect on our own heart and our own desires it requires us to ask ourselves good questions or maybe to get someone else to ask us good questions to reveal what our deepest core desires are because this is a hard step, let me give you some examples. Let me show you what this could look like if you perform this exercise of your own heart. If you're looking at this sinful behavior where you're acting out, ask yourself, the reason I do that thing, the reason that I do the things I do, why? What is it that I'm trying to achieve? What is it that I really desire when I act out in this way? And perhaps your answer may be something like this. Maybe you would say, I do that, I act out in that way because I want people to like me. I want people to admire me. I want to be wanted. I want to be desired. I want to belong. And if that's the way you think, then perhaps your core desire is acceptance. Maybe that's what you're really looking for when you act out in different ways. 
Here's another one. If you start asking yourself, drilling down to your core desire, if you're saying, why do I do the things I do? The reason I do what I do is because I want to make an impact in the world. I want to make a difference in this world. I want my life to have meaning. I want to accomplish something. Then perhaps your core desire is for significance. You're looking to make a difference in the world. Maybe as you drill down to your core desire, you're asking yourself, why do I act the way that I do? Why do I act out in the ways that I do? Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you would say, the reason I do that is because I want people to notice me. I want people to be interested in me. I want people to be intrigued by me. I want people to be drawn to me. Then maybe your core desire is for attention. Maybe when you go through this exercise and you ask yourself, why do I do the things I do? Why The reason I act out in this way is because I just want to know I'll be okay. I just want to know that I will have the things that I need. I just want to know that I will be protected. I just want to know that I will be cared for. If, you, if that's what your motivation is and your core desires, that's what you really long for and want, then perhaps your core desire is for security. One more. If you say, the reason I do the things I do, the reason I act and I'm drilling down in my core desire, what is it that I really want? I just want to know that I'm enough. I just want people to think I'm valuable. I want people to speak well of me. I want people to recognize the good things that I do, the effort that I put in, the things that I'm accomplished. Then perhaps your core desire is for affirmation. Maybe that's what you're looking for. Now think about what we've just done. Acceptance significance, attention, security, affirmation. It may be something else for you, but if you drill down far enough and you have a new heart that God has given you, then these are legitimate God-given desires and longings. You were made by God to have those desires. Now, is every desire godly? No, absolutely not, right? That was the second thing we had to get a grip on, right? That being made new looks like God's law. So I have to drill down in my desires until I get to what is that desire that is consistent with the law of God. But when I drill down far enough, and I've been given a new heart by God, then I have God-given desires and longings that are legitimate, that God made me to have those desires. And I should not ignore them or try to turn them off. Instead, I should work hard to identify what it is that I really desire deep down underneath all the other surface desires. Now, why should we do that? Why is it that we should drill down to our core desires? Well, I'm glad that you asked, because the second step is to diagnose the deception. Diagnose the deception. What do I mean by that? Well, when we see what we really want, when we see what we really desire, the desire underneath our other desires, then we understand why we do the things that we do, right? Oh, now I see why I act out like that. Now I understand why porn is so alluring to me. Now I understand why food is so attractive. Now I understand why getting asked on another date or getting someone to agree to another date seems so necessary to me. Now I understand why getting more money is so crucial to me. Because we think that thing 
is going to meet some core desire that we have. It's because our flesh is fooling us into thinking that this thing will give us what we really desire. Listen, that's the bait. <laughs> the core desire is what your flesh uses to lure you, to get you to do things that you would not ordinarily do. That's how you get lured and enticed. But listen, it's a lie. It does not ultimately satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. They cannot. They will not satisfy those deep, God-given desires. And you know what I'm telling you is true. Because you've tried it before. To have those legitimate God-given desires met in ways that, that God has not provided for them to be met. And you know it's a lie. Because it never really satisfies. Oh, it may feel good for a moment. But it never quite scratches the itch. It never quite quenches your thirst. What you hunger for is never really satisfied because those core desires can only be satisfied by God. But it's important to see what we're doing because once we see what our flesh is doing, once we see that it won't satisfy, once we know that it's just bait, then it doesn't lure and entice us like it once did. So that's why it's important, number one, drill down to your core desire. Number two, diagnose the deception. How is my flesh using this to get me to do something I would not ordinarily do? But there's a third step. We don't stop there. If you stop there, what I've preached so far is just self-help, right? It's just how to be a better you is all we've talked about so far. We should go through these steps. The psalmist gives an example of drilling down on our core desires. We should diagnose the deception. Paul's always doing that for us in his epistle. But there's a third step after you've done those first two. Number three, draw near to God. James, if you keep reading in James 4 and verse 8, says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When we see what we really desire, deep down what our core desires are, then we can move towards satisfying our desire in the right way, according to God's design. We see that those desires can only be met in God. Augustine, one of the church fathers, prayed to God and he said, O oh Lord, you have made us for yourself, and restless are our hearts until we find our rest in thee. That's right. Augustine gets it. So how do we draw near to God with these core desires that we have? What does that look like? Let me just show you very practically what it looks like. If you've drilled down to your core desire, and you said, the reason I do what I do is I want to be liked. I want to be admired. I want to be wanted. I want to be desired. I want to belong. I want to be accepted. Then we go and we find God in his word. And he pours that acceptance into our heart. And we read in his word how he does not just forgive us of our sin. We don't just receive pardon for our sin. But God adopts us into his own household, into his own family. That's real acceptance. 
That God doesn't just forgive our sins and pardon us and then hold us at arm's length and hold his nose because we're dirty, messed up sinners that he doesn't really like. No, he loves us so much that he forgives us and adopts us as his children. That's real acceptance. If we've said that the reason we do what we do is because we want to make an impact, we want to make a difference in the world, we want our life to have meaning, what our core desire is is significance, then go to God and his word and hear what he has to say. He says as a child of God that Christ is our head and that we are his body, that we are literally the hands and feet of Christ. And that God himself ushers in the kingdom of God into this world through us, through our efforts. That's significance. That's making a difference in the world around us. That's making a real impact. That's counting for something. That God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because we are the hands and feet of Christ and are used by God in that way. That God would say to us, hey, you're my disciple, you were a follower of mine. I want you to make disciples of the nations. So that all over the world, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Listen, Jesus only reached 12 guys directly by himself. He had a few followers when he ascends into heaven. His plan is for people from every tribe and nation and tongue and people. And he does that through us. That's significance. That's real impact. And we find that in God and in the gospel. If your core desire is you want people to notice you, you want people to be interested in you, you want people to be intrigued by you, to be drawn to you, you your core desire is really attention. Listen to me. I'll tell you about attention. Matthew 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, The very hairs on your head are numbered. That's how much God pays attention to you. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You want to know how much attention God's paid? He has written your entire story. And he is working to see that that story that he's written will be played out in your life and that nothing can thwart that. And then you know what the next verse says in Psalm 139? The psalmist says, How vast are your thoughts for me. How precious they are to me. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the the sands, the grains of sand on the seashore. Listen, you want attention? Psalm 139 says, God thinks about you more than you think about you. It's crazy, the attention that we find from God as we turn to him. If your core value is security, you're saying, I just want to know I'll be okay. I want to know I'll have what I need. I want to be protected. I want to be cared for. My core desire is for security. I think of Hebrews 13 and verse 5 where God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I think about Romans chapter 8 that we looked at earlier that begins with, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The chapter ends with, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no separation from God's love. God says, you want security? God promises. He says, if you are in Christ Jesus, nothing in all creation will ever separate you from my love that I have for you in Christ Jesus. That's real security. If you're thinking to yourself, hey, I just want to know I'm enough. I want people to think I'm valuable. I want people to speak well of me. I want them to recognize the good things. I really want affirmation. If you're in Christ Jesus, 
God views you just as he does his own son, Jesus. And what he says of his son, he says of you, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. He works in us so that we are made new, so that when we finally see him face to face, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I think of Zephaniah chapter 3 that says, God rejoices over his people with singing. That's real affirmation. That's how our core desires are met in God and in God alone. Now listen, don't be fooled. We're made with desires. You have good God-given desires because you have a good heart. God does offer all these things, but you need to understand the greatest gift is God himself. Just to have God, just to be in his presence. All these things are added unto you as well. But God himself is enough. He's the real prize He's the real treasure. But I call you to deal with your desires by doing the hard work to drill down to your core desire, to diagnose the deception of how your flesh is using that core desire to lead you to do things you would not ordinarily do, and then draw near to God and find how only He can meet those core desires. Let's pray and ask Him to help us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. (laughs) Thank you that you show us how our flesh fools us and uses our desires to lure us and entice us into doing things we would ordinarily not do. Father, I pray for my friends and for my own heart that you would help us to do the hard work of drilling down to our core desire. Not every desire we have is good. Help us to find that, that desire under all the other desires that is given by you, that is consistent with your law that is holy and righteous and good. And then, Father, help us to see how our flesh fools us, deceives us, into thinking we'll have those legitimate desires met in the things of this world. And then, Father, help us to draw near to you. (laughs) Help us to find our fulfillment in you, to find all of our desires met in you, the only one that can meet our core good desires because we were made for you. Please help us to do this, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.